Good day, good day, good day, everyone. It's Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, host of the Pete the Planner Show. Welcome. Oh, I've got a special episode for you today. Uh, I'm going to bring both people on right now who are going to be on. So we've got Dame, co-host. We've got Joshua Becker, best-selling author. We're going to talk about his new book to start the show. Uh, Dame, I'll welcome you later. Joshua, hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's good to be with you again. I, I don't know how many times we've spoken on this here show, but I, I, I th this is at least three or four. Where, where are you at, do you think? Uh, I was going to put it at two or three, so no. Oh. It's also worth That's noting I have mean. a terrible memory. So. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> uh, Damien, this is your first time uh, talking to Joshua, correct? It is. You usually don't let me talk to anybody that's that's popular or important. So, Joshua, to give people a little background on you, many of our listeners uh, do do follow your work. You are uh, primarily known for being one of the world's foremost experts on minimalism and sort of that entire world. You've got a very influential blog, Becoming Minimalist, which has certainly influenced me and uh, uh, influenced so many others. How long have you been writing that blog? I have been writing that blog for 13 years, 13 years, trying to convince people that they'll be happier if they own less stuff. How, what did you do before that? Did you have a crossover point where you had like a, this is, gets into the weird, awkward question time. Like, yeah, yeah. Did you have mind. a full-time job before that? And then a crossover time? I was a pastor. I was a pastor for 15 years. And um, yeah, I, uh, I loved pastoring. Always thought I would uh, do it for the rest of my life. So yes, there was a crossover time. I, I was probably writing about minimalism for about five years before uh, doing it full time. Maybe I three years, maybe three yeah. years of even debating if I was going to um, switch over and do this full time or not. But it occurred to me that there were a lot of better pastors than me in the world, but not a lot of people writing about minimalism, especially, especially back then. Yeah, I think your perspective as a pastor, and, and this is going to be an awkward question, um, in, in, in the faith world, certainly there are, are you know well-known pastors that minimalism doesn't really jibe with what their message is. Did you think about that a lot at the time of like, you know, most popular pastors there are are about this sort of um, abundance mentality, uh, even in material possessions. And here you are saying, get rid of your stuff and you'll be happier. Oh, interesting. Um, there was a pro interesting, probably not a ton of that in, in my own personal thinking. There was the, the individual side of my faith of, hey, like, how can I be a pastor and teach what Jesus said about caring for the poor and taking care of others and yet still buying more and more stuff and bigger, bigger houses and just filling it with more and more clutter. Like there was just that, that personal faith. There was probably a a larger corporate view of the of the church as a whole, like, hey, this is probably a thing. This is a part that we're all missing. Like, we're all just living pretty typical American suburban lives, at least where I was living at the time, and yet uh, trying to say that we're separated from it. So there was those two aspects. I mean, always in the, I always kind of knew like the health and wealth preachers that hey, come to Jesus and you'll have a lot of money and you'll never yeah. get sick and always. Never always had a problem with a lot of that thinking, um, but never really applied it personally at the beginning to minimalism. Sure. <clears throat> well, awesome. Well, let's start the show here in a second, uh, and we're going to talk about your book. So I will re-welcome you to our radio listeners for this weekend and uh, our podcast listeners who will pick up the podcast this coming Tuesday, which also happens to be the day your book comes out. So this is all oh, fits together. Beautiful. Are you excited for the giant bump of seven additional sales that you'll get on Tuesday? Uh, time on I, will, uh, I will look for them. Oh, please please don't. Them. Please don't, because I don't <laughs> want the email from you. Like, hey, thanks, nothing. Um, all right. Let's start the show in three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. And here's what happens. Well, sometimes we don't even answer your question because we have a compelling guest and we're like, you know what? Forget your questions for one week. Let's talk to incredibly interesting people. Speaking of incredibly interesting people, more specifically, that person's husband, Damien Dunn. Hello, Dame. 
I really did not think you were going to start with me. I thought you were going to lean into the guest. <laughs> no, I was saying that your wife's interesting and, and you're here too. Hello, Dame. Hi. Hey, Pete. Good to be with you. You're interesting, of yeah. course. And our special guest is bestselling author Joshua Becker, uh, primarily known for all of his work in the world of minimalism. His new book comes out April 19th, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Welcome back to the show, Joshua. Well... Thank you. We were debating a little bit uh, off air how many times I've been on, and I usually no one has me back. So it's good to be here. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, so I got to think. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've seen the new book, and, and I'm excited about it, and it feels so inspired from what we've all collectively just been through of redefining like what matters when everything's in chaos starting in March of 2020 and you're questioning everything. How can you not restack your life and reprioritize it? And I feel like that's what the book really gets at the heart of like, how do you really determine things that matter? How influenced were you by 2020? Uh, the book started before 2020 um, uh, at least the idea for the book started before 2020. Um, you know, I think it, uh, for me, the pandemic 2020, uh, I like to say, I don't think it ever necessarily changed what was important to me, but it, um, certainly made, um, made what was important to me more, more prevalent, um, more on the forefront of my mind. It, um, I think relationships were, were so interesting during the pandemic when when relationships are like always available and we can hang out with friends anytime we want at the coffee shop. We never do because it's just like in the back of our mind and always available to us. But then relationships became like almost a chore, uh, difficult. Like how long do I have to wait to go out before I see someone and what tests do I need to get before I see someone? And I get really said, hey, these are important to me and it's worth going through these going through these steps to get there. So there are eight common distractions that you suggest uh, prevent people uh, from enjoying the things that truly true matter. I'd love to go through them if that's that's okay. I don't want to I don't know how this works. It's just like a spoiler alert. We of course want people to buy the book that comes out on April 19th wherever you happen to buy books. but can, yeah. can we go through some of these? Absolutely. It'd be good because I think uh, different distractions hit different people at different times and um, realize them. And so, sure, we can spoil the whole thing. I don't care. All right. Full disclosure here. Full disclosure. I was reviewing this list this morning, uh, preparing for the interview. And Dame, that is surprising that I actually prepared for an interview. I'm entirely. I, Josh should be uh, very, very happy that you put some <laughs> very honored. on the show today. <laughs> uh, Joshua, I feel seen. I feel like when you decluttered your home with like security cameras or whatever, you put them in my home and have just looked into my soul for the last two years because many of these things that, that prevent people from really un understanding what matters to them, uh, they're all on this list. So go ahead. Go ahead and tell everyone what I struggle with. So start with number one. Uh, uh, the book is about um, how... I, I asked the question, how do we get to the end of our lives with fewer regrets? Like, how do we get to the end of our lives and be satisfied, fulfilled with the decisions that we made? Not that we don't make any mistakes, but just in a general arching theme. And uh, and it came down to we we choose things that matter and then we remove the distractions that keep us from pursuing those things. And so there's eight uh, distractions in the book. And the first one is the distraction of fear. Uh, fear of failure, uh, fear of rejection, fear of getting started, um, fear of even pursuing those things that that matter most to us. You know, what's interesting about this is uh, a fear of failure, very common topic people talk about. And for some, it prevents them from taking action. That's, and by the way, this is not about me, despite the fact that the show is named after me and I'm all of a sudden making it about me. But I don't uh, I don't become inactive out of fear. What happens for me is fear is what ruins the journey. I'm always so aggravated because of the fear that it's not going to go the one, the way I want, despite the fact that I'm doing everything I can to make it go the way I want. Yeah. Fear shows up in a lot of different ways. Uh, keeps people from getting started. Uh, some of the fascinating research I discovered in the book is that, you know, in a lot of ways, fear, um, uh, fear of failure causes us to set pretty small goals uh, for our life um, because it's easier to think, oh, I can do this little thing 
without failing as opposed to dreaming and uh, really living up to our, our fullest potential. Uh, I interviewed a guy for the book who um, pretty high, well ranking in uh, most of the organizations and businesses that he's worked in. And yet he's like, man, I'm, I'm afraid every day, uh, afraid every day that I'm going to be found out that I'm actually a failure. And it was, it was interesting how success didn't um, stop the fear. Uh, it was something that he had to battle with even, even the more successful he got, uh, the more fearful he became. I don't remember sitting for that interview, but I'm glad you were uh, after it in your book. Um, you know, Elsa, the first time you and I spoke, you told the story of when your journey for minimal, minimalism started of, I think you were cleaning out your garage or, or something like that, or a particular room. And, and something you actually spoke about to me then was this concept of the fear of getting rid of something is that this fear that you're going to somehow miss it or that your meaning will be sucked out of your life because you've gotten rid of something. And the glory of minimalism is once you get over that that hump and you get rid of the thing that you fear will somehow impact you in its absence, you realize well, it's sort of an irrational fear. I'm not going to miss it at all. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Or even there's a different fear. I, I help try to help people understand. Right? Just, just the other day, someone stopped me and they're like, hey, how do I get rid of all this stuff I'm afraid that I'm going to need in the future? And I said, man, there's a part where we should probably be afraid of just keeping a whole bunch of junk that we don't need. Like the, the you know, the, uh, it's worth the risk. I think in some ways I'd, I'd rather, you know, not carry a burden full of clutter, uh, going forward every day of my life and maybe miss one or two things. Uh, but, um, yeah, different ways to look at different ways to look at fear for sure. Next on your list of common distractions, you say past mistakes can bog people down. Yeah, this was the uh, we did a nationwide survey for the book, and uh, this was really the most heartbreaking of the survey results that, at least in my estimation, 60 percent of Americans um, say that they are held back from the future they want because of past mistakes they've committed. And 55 percent of people uh, say that they are held back from the future they want because of past mistakes committed against them. Hmm. Uh, and that is a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of potential um, being being bottled up either by something that we did um, on our own or something that was done to us, which is probably even more sad. I feel and that's like just the people who, and that's just the people who recognize it. Right. So, yeah, you think about that and then it starts to like, OK, are you extending grace to those that maybe did something against you? But then at the deeper, harder uh, concept is are you extending grace to yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, our, our past certainly shapes who we are uh, in the present, but it, I don't think it needs to keep us from, from being our best selves in the future should help us get there. I mean, that's easier said than done, obviously, but um, certainly that's a, a mistake that I uh, want to talk about. Actually, that one came from my publisher and my editor. Um, uh, she was like, um, Hey, are you going to talk about this issue? And I'm like, I am now. Cause you're totally right. That's a, a that's a big one for people. That's a good editor. By the, by the way, did that person edit any of your past works or is this just a new editor to you? Uh, same editor on all of my books. All of my books. Every You're time a blessed I, man. That every, is phenomenal. It's the, it's the one requirement I have of my publisher that I need to work with. Uh, well, let's same do this. If, if it's all right, Joshua, if you hang out through the break, uh, we'll come back, hit the uh, other common distractions. Joshua Becker joining us talking about his new book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. We'll even let Dame talk. Coming up after the break, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. Dame, I love these segments. I love it. Let's get into some of Dame's issues, can we? <laughs> I, I was actually thinking as you're talking about you know getting rid of stuff and them being scared of getting rid of stuff and my dad passed away a number of years ago and I inherited all his stuff and he had a small business and, and he, I recognized that he kept stuff around because he was, he thought he might need it someday in, in his business. And then I inherited that stuff and I inherited the business. And then I couldn't get rid of that stuff because I thought I might need it someday too. And I never thought, I knew he would never need it. I knew he would never need mm. it, but then it was my stuff and I didn't want to get rid of it because I thought I would need it. So I'm like, man, this this is a something that just you inherit. You inherit that stuff along, or those some of those fears along with all the stuff that comes with it, for any number of reasons. Whether there's an emotional attachment or a professional attachment or whatever it is, but it, I, I hadn't really re recognized that in my life until you just started talking about it. Hmm. 
Jeez, Dame. That's intense. That's that's good stuff. I mean that that's why being so introspective about what matters, I, I think, can especially using something like Joshua's book to guide that conversation. I think that's why it's a helpful exercise. Otherwise, you're just sitting there in the dark listening to REM, getting sad. Uh, but if you're taking sort of some structure around it, Joshua, I want to ask you this not on the air, but on the podcast instead, because you can tell me to not ask you this. Uh, there's a, a a very popular book that I've read that I was very reluctant to read because I hated the title. It was the subtle art of, yeah. you know, that, that book. I, I, like, I just like people call me a square. I just like I, I didn't want to read it because I didn't, didn't like the title. I read it and it really goes into these things of like trying to give your attention to the things that that um, impact you or that should impact you. I'm curious, have you ever have you ever read that work? No. Similar. I'm guessing you were same uh, reason. Yeah. Same reason. I finally broke down. I had a coworker. She's like, just read it. You'll like it. I'm like, I don't know. I got a grandma rule. I can't, I can't read (laughs) stuff like that when my grandma's living. I can't do it. Oh, that's funny. That's Um, funny. All right. Let's come back. Uh, We are on to number three, number three here. Uh, So let me take a note and then we're good to go in three, two, Back on the Pete the Planner show, joined by Damien Dunn. Damien, it's good to be with you again. Yeah, it's it's great to be here, taking a week off, and you know, getting to talk every uh, you know minute for a segment. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a nice change. Yeah, we've been off the air for two weeks. I was on vacation. I have a great bald eagle story to tell you uh, upon you know when you and I talk again. But forget that. Uh, we're talking to best-selling author Joshua Becker, who who joins us on the show again. I think it's two or three times in the last several years. Joshua's new book comes out April 19th. I encourage encourage you to get it. It's called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Joshua is one of the foremost experts in uh, the world on minimalism. His work has meant a lot to me personally. That's why I share it with you again. Joshua, we're talking about the eight common distractions that lead to uh, people not living the satisfying, fulfilling life that they want. We covered fear and past mistakes in the first segment. Number three, you note that happiness itself is, can be a common distraction. Yeah. Uh, or as I define it in the book, um, looking for happiness in selfish pursuits. Mm. Uh, pretty much every, uh, every positive psychology study uh, comes back with the, with the same findings that when we live generous, giving lives that help others and serve others, that this is one where is when we always end up being the most satisfied in the long run with with the life that we live and the way we uh, spend our time and money. Any chance in that chapter you touched on influencers and this pursuit of uh, perceived happiness, uh, which also seems really self-involved? Uh, just the whole the whole industry around it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it comes up. Uh, it comes up. I, I don't go into a deep dive into our current social understanding of happiness and whether it's um, rooted in history or um, mankind's experience for the last several thousand years. But um, yeah, certainly it, you know, sparks the spark, the idea and brought it up and it's good. I, uh, I look at four different, uh, a lot of, a lot of studies that I use in that chapter to, to try to make my point. Um, 60% of people say they'll be happier if they live their lives uh, helping others. Uh, but seeing the the data behind it, I think is is pretty helpful. So I did a lot of that in that chapter, probably more than uh, any other chapters, actually. I'm obsessed with that particular topic of the things people do um, to to really have happiness be the end all be all goal, mm-hmm. and how myopic that can be. I think about a personal conversation I had years ago with a friend and his personal pursuit of happiness and the means of which he was achieving it and the lives he was ruining to perceive his or to, to achieve his own happiness. And since then I've really been quite introspective about people's pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I I try to make the point in the book that I I think that, that happiness uh, is what, what follows uh, a life lived for things that matter. um, Knowing that we, we pursued things that, um, that bring our lives significance and, and meaning and fulfillment, um, that when we do that, then this is, this is where we discover happiness the best. I would also note that, you know, we just talked in a previous segment about past mistakes and letting those go. 
sometimes that pursuit of, of, of fulfilling happiness, of serving others, you can get in your own head about how you used to do it and it wasn't the right way. And so that certainly, uh, that matters as well. The fourth thing you note that can be a distraction, which I don't know, Dame and I know a thing or two about this is money. Uh, money can certainly be a, a distraction for people as they try to find out what really matters in their life. Yeah, I think when people hear the book, uh, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, they think to themselves, oh, that's a book I need to read because I need to put my phone away uh, more often, and uh, which is true. And there's certainly a chapter on that. But um, as listeners can tell, the book goes into much deeper topics than how do I, how do I put my phone away. Um, and so, yeah, money, money was going to be a big chapter for me, just um, not to jump the gun, but the next chapter is about possessions and found minimalism and started owning fewer possessions, which the next question became, well, what's, what am I going to do with my money? Uh, if I'm not using my money to buy a bunch of stuff that I don't need, uh, what's the connection there? And um, even the connection to work and what's the point of work if it's not to have a bunch of money to buy, uh, to buy a whole bunch of stuff. I, I've always been fascinated with the stat that 78% of Americans uh, um, experience financial related stress. Um, uh, probably a few years old by now. I'm not sure what the pandemic has, has done to that number. Uh, but like we are the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And, and somehow 80% of us are still stressed out about money. It's not because we don't have food. It's not because we don't have clothing. It's not because we don't have shelter like it's not because we don't have enough money at least in most certainly in you know 78% of cases and so what like what is it why why is money never enough how come i'm always stressed that i don't have enough money um even though i can look at my own life and make twice as much money as i did 10 years ago and for some reason i'm still stressed about money and i, I so the the book the chapter dives into that a little bit more Possessions is next on the list of distractions, which really feels like it was the catalyst of your career as a minimalist writer. What do you do with the phrase, my prized possession? That, that, that's a phrase that has always sat strange with me. And I get it. I have a prized possession. Mine happens to be in my studio here. It is the Pringles can that my grandfather left me uh, when he passed away, it was where he kept his pocket change as an accountant. And it's where I learned to budget was with this Pringles can filled with my grandpa's change. So this is my prized possession, but I'm, I'm guessing most people don't really go this route. Um, don't go this route with saving money in a Pringles can. <laughs> well, that I just like prized possession. It's like, oh, it's my Tesla. Oh, my prized <laughs> possession is my golf clubs. I don't know. I, who uh, uh, yeah, that'd be interesting. How many, you know, how many because that when you said prize possession, I'm like, oh, I don't really have one. If I had to have one, it would be uh, this thing I grabbed from my grandfather's house when when he passed away that that I thought represented him most to me. Um, so that is exactly what I what I thought of the same thing that that came to your mind. Um, yeah, you know, in those scenarios, I I think that you know the thing represents the the person that we that we want to be um, inspires us to to want to be the, the person that we want to be. And, uh, I have, I have a lot less, a uh, lot less contempt for that than, than someone who's, you know, sports cars, their prized possession or, uh, whatever it might be. I just had someone, uh, just the other day, send me an email and they're like, what's the problem if I have a really big house and a really fancy sports car? Like what's, what's the problem? They, they bring me joy. Is that a problem? Is what I said, is what they said. And I, and I wrote back and I said, I think you can do better. Um, and I, I don't know if they took it the right way, but, but in my mind, I was just thinking, like, I think that there are better things that we can do with our money than just buy a really fancy car or a really bigger tele television or house. There are just some things that I think lead us to, to longer range fulfillment than nicer car and nicer house. So it's kind of how I treat that in the, in the chapter. Dame, Dame, what's your price possession? I figured this is a good opportunity to jump in for you to tell us about your uh, Aston Martin or something. Yeah, yeah. no, I, 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 I don't know if I would even be ashamed if that was what my price possession was if I actually had the chance of doing it. 
I was trying to figure out what my price possession was during the conversation. And one of the things that came back to was something that I inherited from my dad. It was a, a, a little 22 rifle that I learned to shoot on that he bought when he was uh, probably uh, 13 years old and has just been around and, and has a lot of sentim uh, sentimental value to it for, for me. So it's, does it have any real significant monetary worth? No, no, not really. But it means the world to me. I, there was a period of time, there was about a year that I couldn't locate it uh, after he passed mm. away. And I was distraught. Um, it, it didn't really bubble up, but it, it tore at me that I couldn't find it. And then one day I found it underneath a blanket. It had been uh, just kind of tucked away and uh, I broke down. And I, it was just one of those things that it, it had finally come home and it, it was never going to leave uh, my sight again. Hmm. Well, we're going to pick up with that and Joshua Becker right after the break. This is the Pete the Planet show. Dame, I let Dame talk and he, he run me into the bumper. But you know what? That's a perfect story. It is a perfect story. Cassie just texted me, though, and she said, why did he not say his wedding ring? So I don't know. Uh. Why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't wear a wedding ring for a long time because um, I lost it. And then I got another one. It's twelve dollars, and it is certainly a price possession. Um, I had lost mine for a while too. My son lost a... my wedding ring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think mine's keep... been off my finger once since I've been married. Really? really? Yeah. What was the occasion that was off? Were you on a <laughs> business trip? Like, why? Why did you not have it off? No, that's even more curious. Uh, no, um, so. My knuckles are all messed up, and once it went on, it was not going to come off very easily. But my hands were really cold one day, and I was just spinning it around, and it just happened to slide off. And I looked at it and put it right back on. And that was oh my gosh, that was that was essentially it. <laughs> Josh, any chance you can do one more segment with us? Oh yeah, sure, of course. I mean, we we we're leaving people got to know what the final three are absolutely like, yeah. i know i told you i'm hanging on all day if you want all right we will do one more segment um awesome well, by the way for those listening to the podcast and watching the live stream this is our friend joshua uh he and i have known each other uh i don't know i mean i think it's gonna be longer than we really think about it i i feel like i first talked to you maybe 2015 when did you when did you write the the book with uh, you wrote the housing one but then the one before that what was that one called uh the more of less was the first one and that yes. came out in may 2016 that's may when i talked to you i think the first time so um awesome well all right let's get back to it we'll pick it up with uh number six on the listicle <laughs> so uh here we go in three two Back on the Pete the Planner show, Damien, I, Damien, who are you? Dame, how are you? I'm still here. I'm great. Uh, Damien Dunn joins us as always, no relation. Uh, and uh, this week, joined by bestselling author Joshua Becker, author of the new book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distractions to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. Damien, it occurred to me with our growing company uh, where we uh, have almost doubled in size in the last month uh i feel like i'm gonna buy a copy of this for everybody because i think it's a really culturally a, a good place where we want to keep our heads uh joshua before the break we talked about some of the biggest distractions that people have in their lives that prevent them from feeling satisfied and fulfilled things such as fear uh an obsession with past mistakes the uh, pursuit of happiness potentially the wrong way money possessions you note applause this one's fascinating Talk to us about why applause is a distraction. Well, this is probably the one that um, that I struggle with the most. I I I don't want uh, I, I don't need to own a whole bunch of stuff anymore. I, I I'm not even that fascinated with having a whole bunch of money in my life. But I always say accolades, uh, accolades, and applause get me uh, get me every time. Um, just wanting to be known. Um, when I, when I see someone else, uh, I tell a story in the book about uh, writing about minimalism and uh, having some success there and the evening where I saw someone else write about minimalism and get a ton of a national attention. And like that really, uh, it really 
irked me. Like it, even, even a couple of weeks focusing on, Hey, how come that person is getting all the attention that, that I should be getting. And when there's nothing wrong with, um, my grandpa used to say, uh, praise is like perfume, uh, smell it, but don't swallow it. And, uh, so, so praise is nice. It's nice to be known. It's nice to be, you know, recognized for the, the work that you, that you put in, in your life. Um, but when that becomes the goal, uh, when I'm doing what I'm doing to, to get noticed or to gain followers or, uh, to grow in reputation, then I think this is when we make choices that, um, that we regret in the long run, um, can't help but think of reality shows and, you know, what's been, what's been done for the purpose of attention, uh, just to get on television and, um, uh, probably in some small ways we do that uh, with our lives, even if it's not just to get on television. You know, this one hits me uh, right between the eyes because this is a journey that I've certainly been on and and I feel very at peace with uh, where I'm at with my relationship with accolades. You know, at one point in time, it was super important to mm -hmm. me. You know what? I, I have to say, I feel like our journey in terms of being an expert at something and then having others get shine when you are going, I think it seems pretty parallel. Uh, and it's when I pulled back and I'm like, I just don't care. I used to get this one point where a person uh, would, people would often ask me about one particular person within my industry all the time, all the time. It used to drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. Now I sort of laugh about it because it is so predictable that I don't even care. Um, so applause is one that I certainly have gotten better at. How about leisure? How about leisure being a distraction? Isn't life about leisure? <laughs> yeah, we'll see if I can ruffle some feathers uh, culturally Ooh. with this chapter. We'll uh, we'll find out. Um, you know, CNN called uh, early retirement the new American dream, and um, uh, it's interesting when when the goal of work becomes how quickly can I get out of work. Uh, I, I think that we we sell it short and we even our entire philosophy and approach to work becomes something that is, I only want to do so that I can stop doing it. Um, and there's not a lot of not a lot of joy in that. And so honestly, I, I, I think that that we are most satisfied in life when when we contribute to the world uh, and when we do what we do well uh, to help others and, and serve others. Um, when we when we stop seeing work as this is what I do to get the paycheck so that I can buy the thing or or go on vacation, but work is uh, work is work is love in a lot of ways. I, I do what I'm good at uh, so that someone else can do what they're good at, and and all of society benefits uh, in the long run. That that this is when when this becomes my view of work, uh, I think it becomes far more meaningful and and significant and. Um, this doesn't mean that we, we never take rest, um, but it means that we, we rest, uh, so that we can do better work, uh, not we do our work just so that we can rest and lay on a beach for the rest of our lives. So a little different, a little different viewpoint than, uh, I think a lot of people would, uh, would, would say, but this is, this is my approach and, uh, I think, uh, a helpful way to think about work. Dame, uh, you and I happen to share this view as well. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I there's um as as Joshua was talking, I was thinking um you know there's a, a number of people that will land firmly in the camp of you got to do something that's going to make money. Uh, don't do what you love. Do what you do that's going to provide uh, a good lifestyle for you. And then there's the other camp that says do what you love. The problem with doing what you love is when you expect to be able to live with the results of living or doing a job where you're getting a great income. But if you are taking Joshua's perspective at this, uh, taking a real hard introspective look at your relationship with things and money, doing what you love becomes very reasonable and a great opportunity for you. So it's, it's all about recognizing uh, what you want to do, what is meaningful and living within those boundaries. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Joshua, mm -hmm. I got to guess that during your book tour here and your pre-promotion of the book that you're not going on a lot of fire podcasts. Uh, I've been on a couple. I've been on, I've been on a few. I've been on a few and it always goes well. You know, they, uh, they're always like, 
you know, because they always say retire early doesn't actually mean retire early. Uh, they just say it means go do work you love. I'm like, well, that's not what retire means. But anyway, um, yeah, and I and I would say the same thing. You know, if you're if you're in that job where you're just making a ton of money and you'd much rather do something else that's more personally meaningful to you, but you would make less money, then then I would say go do that. Um, and which is exact the exact thing that a lot of the fire folks would say. So. A few of them, but not a ton. It always works out okay. The last thing you note uh, in your book is one of the common distractions that prevent us from living a satisfying mm. and fulfilling life is, is one that I think many of us consider um, and struggle with and get better at and then struggle with again. It's yeah. technology. And so how do you approach this in the book that in a way that's maybe different than, than the typical look at this? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the book offers the... I always say that the hacks, you know, put a rubber band around your phone and change it oh. to black and white. And like, there's some of those things in there, but we've all tried those and they, they don't work until we like really try to reorient our thinking around technology. And uh, like, I, like I say in the book, it's probably more about the distraction of the trivial rather than technology. I mean, I get to do what I do because of technology. We get to have this conversation because of technology. It's it's the more trivial sides of it. So I encourage people to do two things. Number one, take a take a tech fast, like like take a month away from from tech and just put it put it all away, uh, except what you what you absolutely need for your boss or your phone or whatever, and reorient your thinking around that. The other thing is, I've always found it helpful to to notice the difference between creating and consuming online. Uh, like I, I write online and I create things for social media. And so there's good that we can bring into the world through technology and through, uh, through social media. It's, it's all the just constantly scrolling, the, the, the playing the next 10 levels of Candy Crush, the binging the brand new season on, on Netflix, like just constantly uh, consuming content. So using, uh, using technology as a tool uh, to accomplish good things rather than just technology using us as a tool, I think is probably the uh, the way to think about it. As people run out to get their copy of Things That Matter, Overcoming Distractions to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, do you care where they buy the book? I always like to ask authors, that, do you have a preference if people are going to go on and get it today? I mean, this could get you in trouble with your publisher, but do you have a preference? <laughs> no, I know. I, I I don't have a preference. Anywhere and anywhere and everywhere is fine and good and wherever they can find it. All right. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and the news. I'm Pete the Planner. All right, Joshua. I was going to say anywhere but the library, but you know, I don't want to say the <laughs> library on the bus either. Uh, before I let you go, first of all, thank you for being very generous with your time. Um, before I let you go, what are you reading right now? Like, what, what are you, I'm just curious. Uh, what am I reading right now? What am I reading right now? Oh, I'm reading a book. Uh, I'm reading a fiction book called The American War, uh, which is, um, I forget the name of the author, but uh, it's... It's a fascinating book. The, um, the, the best nonfiction book that I recently read is The Greatest Salesman in the World. Have you ever read that? Greatest Salesman in the World. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, it's an older book. Uh, um, I don't know, 50s, 60s, like kind of in that Dale Carnegie era. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and it's real good. It was, uh, that's the book that I bought uh, for my staff over here. Um, so I... Very different than I thought it was going to be, but I, I really enjoyed it. So short, short, older book and I don't know, millions of copies sold, something like that. So. If, if you have not read Give and Take by Adam Grant, uh, I, haven't. I, I think you would really enjoy it based on our discussion here today. So yeah, Give and yeah. Take, it talks about those that give of themselves consistently, those that take from the world consistently and what the outcome can be. So yeah, I, I yeah, I, I like Adam Grant. So I'm in. I'll read it for sure. Awesome. Hey, man, thank you so much. Um, when you're in India on your book tour uh, this summer, hit us up and, and we'll try to get some people there for you as well. Yeah, I'll let you know. Great. We'll be at the uh, one of the universities there We're doing all college campuses. So that'll be kind of fun. Awesome. All right, everybody buy uh, things that matter. It's a great graduation gift for college graduates or people in your life. Uh, happy Good Friday to you, uh, Joshua, and we'll see you another time. You got it. Later. Right, thanks. Dame, there we go. Just like that. I like him. I, I like to him listen a lot. to. He yeah. is. He makes me feel like I need to settle down.
not be so hyper. He's a very, very, very balanced guy. So, all right, Dame. Uh, thank you for your generosity and 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 letting me talk to uh, Joshua with um, sort of one on one. I appreciate that. You always take one for the team. Yeah, you want to talk to an expert about something, or do you want to talk to me? Well, you are an expert in many things. I just did want to talk to him, Dame. Can I give you the story I've been wanting to tell you about my Florida experience? Yes, please do. So, Dame, I went on a vacation with my family, and uh, on said vacation, there is a pickleball court in the community in which we vacationed. In. I had never played pickleball in my entire life. Have you ever played pickleball? I have. It was one of the uh, things that we did in uh, high school in PE. What? Yeah. It's been around that long? Yeah. No. Was it Why called would pickleball? I make that up? I don't know. Yes. It's a- I just, yeah. I believe it, but it's like unbelievable. Was it called? Are you telling me that? Yeah. No, it's pickleball. Northeast Indiana had something over everybody else. Is that what you're telling me? Possibly. Was it called a gherkin ball or was it actually, no. it was pickleball. It was pickleball. Who knew? Uh, anyway, me. we're playing pickleball. Um, it turns out I'm either a dominant pickleball family or, or, or a person or my family sucks at pickleball because that's who I was playing with, right? Mm. Um so Mrs. Planner and my daughter are on one side, Ted and I are on the other. We're I'm Ted and I are killing them. And Mrs. Planner's about to serve and and she just stops. And her and Ollie look up over my head, about 25 feet, sort of at, a, at an angle there, and just silent and just in shock. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm in Florida. Who knows what I'm about to turn around and see? <laughs> so Ted and I turn around like we're in close encounters of the third kind. We look up. There's this giant bald eagle flying slowly over my head, carrying a giant red fish, like a red drum, in its hands. And it's like, Aah! and it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was like shocking. And, and Ted and I turn around, and then we can't say anything because we're just like, uh, uh. and then it gets by out of sight. And then all of us are like, whoa. So that was the highlight of my vacation, seeing a giant bald eagle. I was thinking how majestic that would have been right up until the point where you imitated the sound that it probably didn't make. That's true. The only thing more Florida is if it had been open carrying an assault rifle or something like that. But uh, turns out, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Dame, I am going to buy this book for everybody on the team. I'm excited good, to see it. Yeah. Was there was there one of those that stuck out to you most that that maybe you want to dig a little deeper into personally when when he was going through it? The list is fear, past mistakes, happiness, money, possessions, applause, leisure, and technology. Uh, it was probably that fear uh, that that I just mentioned earlier. Um, we're still on the podcast. Yeah, this is a podcast segment, not a radio segment. Yes, I, I, the, the good more distinction. That I, the, <clears throat> the more that I think about that. Um, there's probably other underlying um, issues there as well. I mean, it, how many times may I use fear to allow me to um, dig into a, a safety blanket of, well, I probably better not do that. And it's because I, I just don't want to risk something and I'm, I'm comfortable with the status quo and I, I don't see the value in doing it. Whereas uh, getting outside of my comfort zone and, and taking a chance on some things may, may end up paying off, you know, exponentially so I, I think fear is is one of the uh the issues i've had a lot of growth in a lot of these areas but i still lack i lack some uh real uh clarity in a couple of fear but but it's, as i talked about on the show like during the segment it's for me it's not about the fear which prevents me from doing something it's the fear once I'm doing something and how it just beats the hell out of the, mm-hmm. the, the joy of the journey. But you've now known me long enough and works alongside of me long enough to know that's the truth. Yeah. I, the other one I, I think that I, I could, we could probably spend an entire segment talking on is technology yeah. and yeah. How, I mean, what, a, what a ridiculous distraction that is. I, I had never heard of put a rubber band around your phone. Yep. Is, See, really? I, he said that and I, I was like, Oh, that's interesting too. Um, but I think his whole point is, yes, we want tactics for, for, for little tricks and hacks, but it's a more philosophical, like mm-hmm. I, I got good at it during the pandemic. I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I got off social media for 
whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm in a bad spot right now. Not awful, but I'm in a bad spot right now. Uh, the, the thing, I mean, I try and find ways to make to uh just make it more reasonable for me to use technology like using filters on certain words or topics on on different social media so i so i don't uh, don't go down those rabbit holes but wouldn't it just be easier just not to use social media than than try and make it fit my perception of how i can responsibly use it my daughter's 13 and she came home from school the other day and in her digital learning class, she said they talked about the dangers of social media and how to use it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's awesome. And so she goes, so when can I get it? And I was like, man, I wish the class, I mean, it, this turns into an abstinence versus safe browsing situation. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I was just like, here's the thing. Once you go down that path, there is no turning yeah. back. And I, as a 44-year-old man who has some wherewithal about him, I, I can barely handle it. Being a 13-year-old impressionable mind and, and the the you know, the likes and the thumbs down, like, I just like, ah. If you had to pay to use social media sites. Oh, that's a great much, question. How much would you have to fork out before, or how much would you fork out until you said, you know what? Nope. You know, here's the weird thing. I am not a frugal person. I'm not cheap. But I wouldn't pay a dime to use social media. Yeah, I but yet here we are. And we're Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, so 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 start taking a dollar out of your uh wallet every month and putting it somewhere or put 5 bucks somewhere to your your fee to yourself to use social media. Okay, what do you or just delete uh, them off your phone? What are you, a guy who uh, works at Truebill? Yeah, yes. Well, you, God, they're spending all the money. How can we not to, get a sponsorship? You have to pay me Truebill. half of it, though. You have to pay me half of whatever you set aside, though. I would not pay a red cent if I, if like, if social media is like, oh, Twitter's now $4.99 a month or whatever, and we're mm-hmm. not going to talk about what's happening with Twitter, I can't do mm-hmm. it. That's not in the news this week, is it? No. I no. can't. I can't. No. I can't. I mean, it is in the news, but no, I don't think I put it in, in my news specifically because I didn't want to talk about how it single-handedly tanked one of my stock picks. Oh, that's true. That, from that angle, it's fine. But but yeah. what is going on, I only will talk about with very close personal friends off the air like you and I did yesterday because I my take is so hot, I can't, I can't unleash it on anyone. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't pay it dime to use social media which is why it's free because a lot of other people are in that same boat yeah i i i would love for that to change that social media would think they could increase revenues by charging per interaction or something but I, it's never going to happen because they make all their money off us anyway you ready to do some radio i can't wait for biggest waste of money of the week after talking to a minimalist guy you I could love pick him. Literally, any, you could pick literally anything at this point. It would He's be the so biggest calm. waste of money. To make. He's so calm. He's the anti-me. You know, doesn't doesn't his background make sense now? Totally. I feel like I knew that, but but you know how my memory is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, kind of sucks that he's got amazing hair. Yeah. So I, good. I would if you could just transplant that right onto your head. Would you do it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, My eyebrows that wouldn't match, but I'd be in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah we were <laughs> over the pandemic, we were cleaning out stuff. You know, just like, what are we going to do? Hey, let's clean out the bathroom. I'm cleaning out under my sink and in Sarah and I's uh, bathroom, and Ted's in there with me. And I find this bath, you know, different baskets under your sink with crap mm-hmm. in it or whatever. And I, I pull out a basket I set up. I clearly have not been through this basket in years. And there's a hairbrush in there. And Ted grabs it and he goes, you won't be needing this. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> your, t- your time is coming, Ted. Danza makes a brilliant point here. Joshua has no relationship with Miguel. Very calming. Uh, I'll note this. Uh, we, we do have several new people. A lot of growth going on here at Your Money Line, including uh, new branding and logo. For those that are watching the live stream, James got it. Uh, we've got a, a new guy, uh, Greg, who works here. Loves the Miguel. Really? Yeah. So now we're going to have to get more Miguel. Well, see, he 
he told me he's been listening to the show for a while. Did he pick it up because of the show? Uh, well, or he drinks our just... Miguel here. Oh. The house Miguel. Oh. Oh. So now we need more Miguel. All right. But he's in business development, so I drink as much Miguel as you want. Miguel's That's for right. closers. Um, how do you like that shirt? You're right. This is incredibly comfortable. I, so, yeah. I, I picked it up and I was like, ooh. I, I went through the box and, and looked at everything. A lot of nice stuff. This is hands down the winner. It is. Uh, all right, let's do this show because I do have to um, have some coffee. Not that important, though. Um, oh. Okay. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the TheraBody TheraFace Pro Facial Massager. Massage guns have become commonplace for dealing with sore muscles. Time out. Dame, you got a massage gun first and you told me about it. Then I went and bought one because you really enjoyed gunning your muscles. Yeah. I, you like yours, don't you? I do. Turns out there are muscles in the face as well. And TheraBody's new TheraFace Pro is designed to help those and the skin that covers them. Isn't that weird? Uh, time out. That... Uh, I know we all have skin on our face. That's a very obvious statement, but but to, to say there's muscles in your face and then the skin that covers them f- feels like a horror film, doesn't it? It's just a little quick anatomy lesson for those of you playing at home. While it can deliver traditional percussive treatment, it also has LED and infrared light attachments along with a microcurrent attachment that can help reduce blemishes and wrinkles and tighten the skin. Another attachment is designed to remove buildup of dirt, oil, and debris. Man, I wanted to say Debris. <laughs> An FDA-cleared Type 2 medical device. It charges via USB and lasts up to two hours per charge. Dame, what do you think a face massager f- costs? $74.99. $399 for a face massager. Uh, <laughs> as as a frequent listener to the show says in the live stream right now, Mr. Brian Pinkins, uh, AKA a toddler punches to your face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I really want to go inside after the show and have my TD use our full size massage gun on his face and record it uh, in, I, with, I, with the slow-mo capability on your phone. I do feel uh, the need to say, Thomas, if you're happened to be listening right now, do not put the massage gun on your face. It will hurt you, my friend. Uh, Dame, there's something that you can use to massage your face, and I want to show it to you right now. To do it, I mean, I know we're on the radio. I'm going to remove my glasses, so I now cannot see anything. But I want to show you a massage tool that I have for my face. Okay. You just rub your face. <laughs> All you do is just rub your face. <laughs> like, I mean, I know everyone doesn't have hands, and I'm not being in- insensitive to that. I'm just saying I have that. I can rub my face, and it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like, why do I need to – like, why would I pay $400 to have something – vibrate my face off putting greasy oily fingers on your skin and it's clogging your pores and it's not doing you good pete oh what's it gonna hurt my love life what am i gonna do (laughs) not get any more dates (laughs) who cares i'm an old man i doesn't matter dame what's in the news this week skincare is very important no it's not uh, tax Day 2022 is arriving Monday, April 18th after having returned to its mid-April home this year after two years of delays spurred by the pandemic. For those of you who haven't filed yet, the main thing that makes a practical difference is electronic filing. Taxpayers who file electronically and include direct deposit information typically get their refunds within 21 days. Those who file on paper are facing months-long delays as the IRS raises to get through a backlog left over from the 2020 tax year. That seems like quite the delay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you haven't filed, uh, first, clear your calendar. You still got a couple days this weekend to, to get that taken care of and file electronically. That's your tip from your old Uncle Dame. Uncle Dame always delivers. What else is in the news? Well, Pete, one of our favorite topics, the cryptocurrency entrepreneur who bought a non-fungible token, that's an NFT, of Twitter founder Jack Dorsey's first tweet was hoping to sell it for $48 million, more than 16 times the $2.9 million he paid for it. But after an auction that lasted a week, 
The highest bid offered was a mere. You want to guess? Yes, I love to guess. Okay. Hey, he paid two point nine million. He was hoping to sell it for forty eight million. After a weeks long auction, what was the highest bid? One point five million. Two hundred eighty bucks. <laughs> two hundred eighty dollars. Look, I go no. out of my way to not scream. We were right. You were wrong. But additional additional bids rolled in after the fact, and it was up to uh, around sixty two hundred dollars as of the time that our news article was published. But it was significantly lower than what the gentleman had hoped for. Do you have his name? I do. Uh, it's uh, uh, Sina Estavi. He owns a couple of Malaysia-based cryptocurrency companies. Well, he knows money. I mean, look, I would listen to him or her. Is it is it him or is it her? Like, I don't know. The... Uh, I believe it's a him, but I well, could be wrong on that. That guy knows what he's talking about. Clearly, clearly. Uh, leases for 243 million square feet of office space are set to expire in 2022, the most office space to hit the market in a single year since real estate services firm JLL began tracking this data in 2015. Many office tenants whose leases expired last year or in 2020 negotiated extensions of only a year or two rather than renewing at a typical length of 10 years or longer as they tried to determine how much less space they might need under a hybrid approach. Now, a growing number of tenants are shrinking their offices. Looming lease expirations represent a 40% increase since 2018 and pose a new threat for office landlords and lenders. Pete? Yeah, uh, the, I, I know why you brought this story up. Like, we're in the midst of this right now. Like, we need to expand because we have more people joining us. And so we need more space, but then it's complicated. I actually got new news on this this morning. I need to share with you when mm -hmm. we're having a private moment. Uh, yeah, pretty interesting because um, people like the remote and, and what you have to do. So what we've done, and because I think is what you got to do, you, you do what's called hoteling. So there's a bunch of common space where everyone works and then you just reserve call rooms or reserve meeting space. But then when you're hoteling, when you're when you're at these common workspaces, you're basically on top of each other. Like it is, it is everyone has on headphones and it's, it's like, wow different yeah it's on uh, on this topic and many other topics i certainly have my opinion of how i like it but i don't think my opinion is right it's just my opinion I, I feel this way about everything now i'm sort of really i'm trying to get my place where if i have an opinion about something it's not that my way is right it's just the way i like it as opposed right. to my way is right and your way is wrong your way is not how i think of it I can think of my way, but when it comes to, the, I like an office. Like I want to, first of all, I want to be at work every day because I love it, but I also want to have an office with a door uh, with a lot more insulation than we happen to have. <laughs> well, there's always next time. People can hear me snore. What else is in the news? Uh, $110,000, Pete. $110,000. Let me That's guess. That's the start. Go ahead. The starting price for... A new type of bicycle with a clock radio in it. Almost. Uh, that's the starting pay for a Walmart truck driver. $110,000. World-class supply chain doesn't come cheap, and that's why the Arkansas-based retail giant is paying buku bucks to attract new drivers and poaching employees from other departments. A little cannibalism inside of Walmart and getting people to transition to truck drivers. Pete, let's leave pay out of this conversation. You ever wanted to jump up into a big rig and drive cross country? Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Does this surprise you? Yeah, it does. Cause really? I, I, yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm the same way I would do it. Yes. I, uh, there's a lot of jobs I would love to try like, and just experience and not as a novelty, but like, I would love to know what that's like. Uh, I mean, I don't want to commit months to it or weeks to it for that matter, but yeah. By the training, I'd like to do it. Yeah, me too. I think it'd be, uh, I think it'd be a great experience. Yeah, it's funny. There, there's certain jobs, like even constru like construction. I love to work at. I, I loved working at my dad's plumbing shop back in the day and like installing air conditioners and stuff. I like, I like that stuff. I 
the work I do now is not with my hands other than occasionally I, I do uh, write uh, with my fingers. That got weird. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of jobs I try out. Nothing in the medical field, though. I think we talked about a couple weeks ago. I don't want to do anything <laughs> in the medical field whatsoever, ever, anytime. Can't do it. Huh. I'm still hung up on installing air conditioners at a plumbing shop. Well, it was a plumbing and HVAC shop. That's all we have time for this week. Buy Joshua Becker's book. If you work for me, you're getting one. Dame, thanks for your contributions. Uh, sending good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. Look at that. Um, I, I have to end the show, Dame. And it's it's very <laughs> one very practical reason. Do you want to guess the practical reason? Uh, a visit to the little cowboy's room? Yes. I need to yeah. go out. Beep, boo, beep, boo, beep, boo. Yeah. Go yeah. draw. Um, mm. right. Interesting phrasing. I don't. I'm going to just go. Okay. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Oh, stay getting money. Mm-hmm.